Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpacking Mental Health. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do this by clicking the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And this is a $5 donation, which will keep the podcast ad-free and go towards covering the expenses. And I would love, love, love if you could give my Instagram and Facebook a follow and I will update you with the next podcast. So have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Unpacking Mental Health, where I'll be talking with Chloe Masters. Chloe has a bachelor's degree in science, majoring in human nutrition, which makes her a qualified nutritionist, and is currently completing her master's of science in nutrition and dietetics. Did I get that right? Uh, dietetics. Dietetics. All right, there we yeah. go. <laughs> um, so super impressive list of credentials. Um, one other thing, Chloe also has more than 11 years of experience in the food industry. Um, and is passionate about the connection between nutrition and mental health. So I'm super excited to have you here today to share your insights with us. For people who are listening, whether you're looking to improve your own mental health or are interested in how we can create a healthier relationship with food, you won't want to miss what Chloe has to say. So let's dive in. Welcome, Chloe. Thanks for such a nice introduction. I'm so excited to be here to talk to you today. Awesome. It's been a little while in the making, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, but, you know, good things take time. Absolutely. All right. So do you want to start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you became interested, I guess, in the field of nutrition and mental health? Yeah. Um, so I've always had a really big passion for food. Um, so I trained as a chef um, a few years ago now. Uh, yeah. I worked in the industry for quite a while. And so... After a while, I kind of became really interested in how, you know, food affects the body because I knew, you know, about making food and what tastes good. But I wanted to kind of dive a bit more into, um, you know, how it affects us and what it's actually doing. And I think that was after I developed a real passion for running, actually. Okay. I'd never, yeah. So I'd never really been athletic before, but, um, you know, I started getting into running and then I got really into my exercise. And so I decided to um, have a look into what the food that I was eating was doing and how it could affect my performance. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you put so much effort into an exercise or something like running, you want to do whatever you can to give yourself any gains possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, it is amazing how much, you know, by um, changing my diet actually improved my performance with running and, you know, made it more enjoyable. Right. So from being in the food service industry to studying to get your bachelor's degree in science, what was the, I guess, catalyst towards going full, you know, professional? It was actually a bit on a whim. Um, <laughs> my <laughs> typical ADHD brain, I just decided one day that I really wanted to learn more about it. So I enrolled, um, yeah, in the Bachelor of Science um, and started by distance. Then I think I did one semester um, by distance and then I just decided to jump into it full time. It was nice, actually. It was a good decision, even though it was a really quick decision. And you didn't do that straight out of high school, obviously. You'd had a bit a career and things going on before that. So it's awesome that as a mum and you know, a little bit, I don't want to say older than usual, but, you know, not the standard kind of straight out of school into uni thing worked for you. Like it was good timing. Yeah, it was. I think I, um, as a mature student, I think, you know, having a bit of life experience and work experience behind me, like I think it really helped me, um, you know, to kind of knuckle down and, and take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the misconceptions about nutrition and mental health that you've stumbled across in your training and work? Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I've found and one that really sticks out to me is that correlation between nutrition and mental health, which I mean, I personally didn't really um, make that connection before that. And so, you know, nutrition does affect your mental health and your mental health does affect your nutrition. So if your mood is low, it can affect the food you eat and the food you eat can also affect your mood. So it's a bit of a cycle, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're not feeling so good, you might reach for foods that aren't really going to um, have any benefit to your mental health. Yeah, definitely. So it's, you know, you might look for convenience foods or highly processed foods, you know, which are not really going to provide you with all the nutrition that you need. But 
kind of getting something in. And I think when you've got low mental health, it can also uh, lead to under eating or overeating as well and binge eating, you know, and that can be also really detrimental to your health. Yeah. And then when you do things like that, if it's something that you're trying not to do, you kind of get in a cycle of beating yourself up about over or under eating as well, don't you? It adds to the stress. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you get that kind of feeling of guilt and shame and then you think, you know, why can't I change? And then you just keep in that cycle, you know. Um, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I tend to stress eat, you know, mm. when I'm feeling quite low or I've got a lot going on. And, you know, then that can add to that cycle there. Mm, for sure. I think for myself, I've found that since quitting alcohol a few years ago or 18 months ago, when I would normally reach for a drink if I'm stressed or something, I will go for sugar instead. That's like the replacement. Definitely. I mean, we do tend to kind of replace things with other things yeah. you know, as a coping mechanism. And yeah. so, you know, if you're not having alcohol, it might be chocolate or it might be lollies or chips or, you know, it's kind of that, that comfort you reach for that comfort that's going to make you feel better when you're in a low mood. Right. So with things that are high sugar and that, I guess, trigger a dopamine response, which does make us feel good. Um, how do you have any tips on how to manage that? Yeah, so um, I think the the key message is with that, if you're having sugar cravings and, you know, you feel like you're eating a lot more than you, you should be, it's about trying to balance your whole entire diet. So it's eating regularly um, at breakfast, lunch and dinner and including protein, carbohydrate, and healthy fats in those meals because that's going to keep you fuller for longer. And it's also going to provide you with all the nutrients that you need to help, you know, to give you energy um, and also, you know, um, help your brain function. Right. Um, and also adding snacks in regularly as well. So, you know, your morning tea, afternoon tea, and maybe something after dinner if you feel like it. But not restricting any foods. Or those sugar cravings, like if you're having a craving for something, um, just just have it because, you know, if you try to stop that craving, what is going to happen is that it's going to lead to overeating and binge eating it. Um, so if you just allow yourself to have it and think of it, you know, as just part of your diet, just part of what you eat, mm -hmm. then that's going to be a lot more um, positive and a lot better impactful on your diet. Yeah, I guess that removes that whole thing of like, oh, well, I've had one biscuit I might as well eat the whole pack or like that type of mentality yeah definitely yeah. the way that I like to think of my diet is not about what I eat in a day but what I eat weekly or maybe even um, over two weeks because I might have a day where I might be out socializing or I might be really busy and you know I might be eating I don't know pizza or burgers or or whatever I I like to eat and I go out and I enjoy myself but instead of thinking, oh, I haven't eaten enough vegetables today or, you know, I've eaten really badly, I, I look at it over the week and I think, well, I'm going to eat more balanced on other days and mm. not so balanced on some days. So it kind of all evens out. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way to think of it. I guess some of us get caught up in the trap like I did for a while when I was um, noting down macros and things on my Fitbit app, for example. And that's like a daily kind of tally up of whether you've been good or bad I'm doing air quotes here of you know your diet but thinking about it how you just mentioned it it absolutely um could also be spanned out over a week rather than one bad day and then letting that affect the whole rest of your week or month or yeah know. definitely because if you're in that mentality that oh I've already made a mistake and I've done something bad you know mm -hmm. you just going to spiral into just like oh it's no use and you know I'm just going to give up and it's yeah. not good for your relationship with food and it's also not good for your body as well so if you think about it as you know not restricting any kind of foods just actually eating to enjoy it but eating overall like a balanced you know balanced um diet and when I refer to diet I'm not talking about you know any kind of um, restrictions or rules in order to lose weight it's basically just um what you eat you mm -hmm. know um yeah. it's going to be a lot more positive in the long run for you yeah that's interesting um so we talked a little bit about fitbits and things like that um i guess 
I wanted to talk a little bit about diet culture and the impact on mental health that that has. Um, I guess with things like Instagram, social media, you know, there's so much fad dieting going on. Um, how, what advice would you have for people around that? Yeah, so, you know, in my opinion, I do think there is a strong link between diet culture and mental health. And the impact that diet culture can have on one, like it kind of depends on what message you're receiving. So it could be negative or positive, but most of the time it's quite negative, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And there's so many fad diets out there, you know, and they promise that if you eat this and not that, or you follow these steps, you'll lose weight really quickly. And then if it doesn't work, it can lead to feelings of failure and that can impact our mental health. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these diets aren't sustainable either. So if you do lose weight, you may just put it back on like once you stop the diet. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the rise of social media, it has been great in some aspects, but it's also put more pressure on people and it can be a big influence in how we feel about ourselves, you know, because we've got like 24-7 access to a highlight reel of other people's lives. And it's Mm. so easy to make comparisons about your weight, about your body, about the food that you're eating or you know, what you're feeding your family and your children as well. Yeah. And there's also a lot of misinformation on what food is, you know, healthy, um, air quotes again, and, um, (laughs) you know, what you should be eating. And I think that can lower self-esteem if you feel like, you know, you don't measure up and you're not eating the right diet and that, Mm -hmm. you know, in turn can negatively impact your mental health. And, you know, if something works for another person, that's really great but it doesn't necessarily mean that it will work for you. And, you know, it shouldn't because we're all different and we've got different needs, different preferences in food as well. And, you know, really there's no healthy foods. There's no good foods, no bad foods. It's just all food. So just about having a balanced diet so you get all the nutrients you need for your body and the foods that you enjoy for your soul as well. Mm, yeah you've got to have a little bit of happiness in there don't you or a lot of happiness (laughs) (laughs) Um, totally I mean how awful would it be if you couldn't you know eat anything that you actually liked yeah yeah. because you just you know felt like you couldn't or you felt shame or yeah yeah about trying to conform to this normal idea of what a body looks like I think for me personally, I've had a bit of an epiphany this probably last few months um, since I've been training a lot and around what my body looks like. I think prior, I'd just always been about losing weight or being a number on a scale. More recently, it's I don't even measure myself on the scales anymore. It's about how my clothes fit or I might measure my waist and arms or something like that. Or I can see everything changing and muscle tone changing. And that is far more exciting (laughs) than jumping on a scale and feeling sad that it's not telling you what you want it to when it could be things that are hormonal or stuff not that you're doing something wrong it just I think has changed my mindset about my body a huge amount yeah that's so great to hear because it's so true I mean your weight or a number on a scale shouldn't define who you are Mm -hmm. I mean our bodies are actually really wonderful things they do so much for us and it's, it is kind of sad that it's, you know, um, success is kind of defined by, um, yeah, how much you weigh. I mean, mm. you could be so healthy and be in a larger body um, compared to someone who's in a smaller body, you know, who could be unhealthy depending mm. on their diet. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're, you're healthy if you've got a lower weight it just depends on you know your lifestyle and what you're eating and you know having that acceptance of your body and how it looks you know naturally when you're feeling good and you're taking care of yourself is really important Mm, yeah and I think for a lot of women and especially a lot of friends that I have that scales thing has just really been burned into the brain somehow that that is the measure of success but it's not so a little bit of mindset work there I think to kind of change your perspective on that and start looking for different markers of the progress that you're looking for yeah definitely I mean I know uh many years ago I felt the same you know it was all about how much I weighed and when I was exercising a lot I actually put on weight because I was building muscle which is (laughs) you know heavier and I was like why is my weight going up 
but I was the fittest I'd been. I was the healthiest I'd been. Yet I was, I couldn't believe that my weight was going up. And then I kind of had to really do some work with myself to kind of flip the narrative and be like, it doesn't matter what the scales say, you feel great, Mm. you know, and your body is doing wonderful things. So, yeah. And it's really sad. I think that sometimes what the scales say can actually stop people from exercising or have them give up or um, not feel like they're making any progress. So why bother? when that happens because you do put on a bit more weight and you might eat more because you're expending more energy so you know it takes usually a while as well for any real changes to happen in your body so like visible changes when you start exercising after being sedentary so it's a shame that it can hinder progress that whole scales mindset yeah definitely I think you know using your weight as a measure of success is actually quite detrimental Mm. yeah to actually moving forward and you know um, building um, a healthy mindset around the changes that your body is making and that your you know your health is doing too yeah I guess something that I think about though and you're probably a good person to ask about this I've never struggled with obesity say or being extremely overweight so for people who who might be in that high BMI zone are the scales useful at some point to manage being very overweight? Like how do you how do you manage that in your role with people? That's actually really interesting. So um, BMI is a measure that we use. You know, it does correlate with different risk factors for diseases and, you know, ill health. But I also don't think that BMI is a cat well in a lot of places can be a, an accurate um, measure of someone's health and what they're eating. So it's really multifaceted. It comes down to their lifestyle, their body composition, um, what they're eating, um, how much they're exercising. You know, if you look at some of these, you know, for example, rugby players um, mm-hmm. got really high BMIs and maybe would put them in the obese category but yeah. they're actually, it's all muscle, you know, yeah. and they're really fit and really healthy. And yeah, so yeah. I think it's really just looking at the bigger picture and taking all of the different aspects into consideration to look at someone's health, mm-hmm. you know, what their biochemistry looking like, you know, with their bloods, um, you know, what's their, their diet history, what's their social, um, what social factors are affecting them. Yeah, yeah. so it really is like individualized in a case-by-case basis. Okay. So how can someone recognize if they're caught up in diet culture and what can they do to break free from it? I guess it's just trying to recognize your thoughts around food and eating and how you frame food in your mind, like whether you use kind of the words, you know, bad, good, healthy, not healthy, um, you know, or different combinations of those. So that can be a really good indicator of how you're impacted by diet culture. And also thinking about any foods you may be restricting, but why? So, you know, it's okay if you've got an intolerance or an allergy or you just don't like the food and that's why you may be restricting it. But if you're making any restrictions based on your weight or, you know, what you perceive to be unhealthy or healthy, you know, it may pay to look a bit further into that Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, it really can be hard to break free of these thoughts and to change your mindset and to change your narrative around it. You know, these patterns and habits associated with food can be really ingrained and you know it can be years in the making um so it's just about surrounding yourself with um, neutral influences around food like both in real life but also you know for example on social media Mm -hmm. also like educating yourself in nutrition can be really empowering so it doesn't have to be really complicated um it can be actually quite easy you know there are some really great dietitians on social media who provide, you know, evidence-based information on a whole variety of nutrition topics. Okay. And, yeah, and if you do feel like you're in it too far, I would recommend having a chat with your GP and just explaining, you know, how you're feeling and your thoughts on it and what you're experiencing. Okay. Yeah. Um, you touched on something about not restricting any foods. So let's talk about, I don't know, McDonald's or Burger King or something you know, these types of fast foods that are usually put on the 
the naughty list, even though we're not calling them that. But what is your thoughts on, you know, amounts of takeaways people should be eating or restricting or? Definitely in moderation, you know. Um, I wouldn't recommend it weekly. Um, You know, it just depends on what your situation is, how often you are eating it, and just trying to reduce it back slowly. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I mean, I don't want to say cut it out completely because it has its time and its place, but I wouldn't put it in my diet as a regular thing. Okay. So there are some foods that can be restricted, I guess, in that instance, like in the takeaway zone of quick and easy convenience overcooking at home. I mean, if you're looking at takeaway options, there are a lot of things that you could say replace the McDonald's or your Burger King with. So, you know, for example, getting a wrap um, or a kebab or, you know, katsubi, sushi, those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some quick and easy options that you can pick up um, that are lower um, in energy and, you know, your saturated fats and your sugar and your sodium than, say, you know, McDonald's and Burger King. Okay. All right. That's good to know. So how can we use food to support our mental health? Yeah, so um, eating whole foods and foods that will nourish us, plus, you know, our soul food as well, that can help to support our brain function, our mood and our mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Also using food to engage socially can help with our mental health too. Um, You know, so surrounding ourselves with people we, you know, when we may not feel like it is quite important for that social connection that we might miss out on when our mental health is not at its best. And it can also help with increasing your eating if your appetite is low too, which some people can experience with depression and anxiety. Right, so and, trying to get yourself to eat if you're feeling low. Yeah, yeah, and can make that connection with people. I know sometimes when I'm feeling low, I try to avoid social situations at mm-hmm. all costs. But actually, you know, sometimes getting out there with the people that we love and that support us can actually be quite good for our mental health as well. Uh, yeah it definitely can help you feel better in small doses sometimes too like you don't have to go mm-hmm. away with the whole family for a week you can just go out for a meal or spend an afternoon or you know you can limit that kind of time frame of exposure we might say yeah definitely you know so even if you just pop out for a coffee and you know morning tea or something mm. um or a quick lunch you know that can all help but you know, can just kind of get you out there a bit. Yeah. Can you share some specific accessible foods or nutrients that have been shown to make a positive impact on mental health? So stuff that people might have in the pantry or their fridges or that I guess isn't, you know, the overly expensive organic um, superfood stuff. Yeah. So um, incorporating um, protein and carbohydrates in your diet at every meal can help because they actually affect the levels of serotonin in your brain which is important to help with your moods mm-hmm. so things like your tofu cheese eggs your nuts and seeds um, chickpeas and lentils those are all really good sources of protein and you know things that are quite accessible and easy to get yeah um, so you mentioned chickpeas and I know they come canned and you know there are lots of canned beans and options are they any less nutritious than the fresh option like I know canned food can be a little bit cheaper and maybe more accessible to people is that still as good yeah definitely so I mean sometimes your canned foods can have um, higher sodium in them um, than your dried But, I mean, it's a good option if you want to, you know, open the can, just rinse off the brine. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they can be an easy, nutritious option that's quite cheap because you can pick up cans for, you know, a dollar, a dollar fifty. And, you know, chickpeas are so um, easy to use. You can use them in so many things. So you can um, bake them with a bit of seasoning on them and have them as snacks. Or you can add them to curries, to stir fries, um, salads, all sorts of things. So they're really versatile. Yeah, yeah, they are. I definitely could fit more of those into my diet, I think. I I tend to kind of cook the same things over and over again, so it, it's nice to branch out and find some new recipes. Have you got any um, easy-to-find spots for recipes for people that they might want to jump in and have a look at? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's quite a few out there. Um, 
so I tend to go to Recipe Tin Eats. Okay. Yeah, which is um, one that I really like. And also you've got um, recipes, you know, at the Heart Foundation and the diabetes websites um, online, the New Zealand ones. So if you just search those, they've got a whole variety of really nutritious, simple and cheap recipes to go to. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and they really um, got a lot of different cultural recipes on there as well. So they anyone can access them and hopefully find something that they like. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's that's good to know. How can we develop a healthy relationship with food while still achieving our health and wellness goals? Like I, I have this personally, it can be a problem because I'm trying to achieve some body recomposition and I tend to still think of the good and bad in food at times and keep a balance for mental health because I know that that's important. Is kind of a tricky circus act trying to reach these goals, but also not vilifying food. Where is the healthy medium? So um, for me, I think first and foremost, it's um, mindful eating, taking your time, um, not eating in front of the TV, putting down your phone and, you know, just really enjoying your food, taking your time to chew it thoroughly, which helps with your digestion as well. Mm-hmm. And it also can reduce overeating. Okay. Um, and it actually provides that connection back with your food because, you know, you're thinking about what you're eating and you're experiencing it, all the flavors, the aroma, which sometimes we can lose that in our busy lifestyles. When mm-hmm. We just quickly sit down and kind of, you know, Uh, eat our food or we're watching tv or you know we're talking to someone you know we can kind of forget that whole process what we're actually doing Mm, yeah so taking that off the list of something that's done for today yeah exactly so you know if you actually take your time and try to enjoy it that can help to build your relationship with it because you're actually really thinking about it and you're considering what you're doing and what you're experiencing um and I know we touched on it before, but um, yeah, stop restricting foods because it doesn't, I know it's easy to say, um, but it doesn't really support that healthy relationship with food. And you are more likely to overeat something if you're telling yourself that you can't have it. Mm. So, you know, I do know a few people who have um, treat days sure. and yeah, they're really careful during you know, for a set amount of days and then on certain days they, they have their treats. But I think that this doesn't really support that healthy relationship with food because you're still vilifying that food and putting it in another category, mm. you know, not thinking about it as food as a whole. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, that's really important just to try and incorporate it into, you know, yeah, your your diet every day. Yeah. Interesting. I read a book once, you you might have read it, The 4-Hour body tim ferris wrote it ah no i haven't read that one uh he wrote the four hour work week which is quite um famous and then he did the four hour body and a lot of that was around um being very you know specific with your diet but also having i think it was a cheat meal once a week or something like that Mm -hmm. where he kind of just goes crazy like eating as many calories and as you want basically make yourself sick you know Mm -hmm. it just seems very unhealthy. <laughs> I always thought like that you're definitely parking the, that food in the naughty chair. Like as an adult, we should be able to add little bits here and there as we want to, not kind of, um, you know, go into timeout once a week. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, just eating in moderation. And I think, you know, regulating yourself and not giving yourself the, I guess, the trust and what you're eating you know and thinking oh i can't eat that um you know can be really detrimental because you know if you if you eat a slice of cake that that one slice of cake is not going to make you put on weight um you you know what i mean in your stomach (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly you're not going to have like a cake shaped piece of fat like you know sticking out of your stomach or um (laughs) yeah so it's just kind of like having that balance because then you're still going to be able to enjoy You're still going to be eating everything that you like to eat. It's just about kind of making sure that you're getting all those key nutrients, those key macros in, and then having your soul food too. Yeah. And that brings me to an interesting question about, um, I guess, fitness, the whole fitness industry and supplements and protein powders and protein bars and all this type of stuff. 
what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So for me, I always like to think food first. Mm -hmm. um, supplements can be really beneficial if you have a deficiency in something. You know, if you've got an iron deficiency, you know, you can have iron supplements that will really help, for example. But I think that some supplements can be really expensive unless you have a you know a test to say oh yep yeah, you've got this deficiency you're probably getting it from your diet anyway okay. um for example vitamin c um most people are meeting and exceeding their daily intake for vitamin c yet you know if you're buying the supplements over winter because you think that you need them you know to try and avoid colds and flus it's really just kind of like money going down the drain. Yeah, it is because, you know, vitamin C is water soluble. So it just goes through, um, is absorbed and then um, comes out in your wee. So it's just yeah. kind of an <laughs> expensive <Right>. wee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So things then like, um, I guess some of the buzz things have been probiotics and mm. magnesium and you know, these types of multivitamins that lots of big companies are pushing. What about those types of things? Yeah, so that's a really interesting one as well. Um, I mean, again, like I would go with the food first approach because if you're eating a balanced diet, um, you know, you're, you're more likely to be meeting your needs for your diet. And so it really is just um, extra money that you're paying um, for these and you probably don't really need them. So, yeah, I think if you're really worried that you might be deficient in something, you know, go to your GP and ask for a blood test to see. But unless, you know, you actually know that you're deficient, yeah, I'd probably just um, stick to a regular balanced diet. And, I mean, you know, with protein powder, I do have that occasionally. You know, I do think that can be a really good addition to your diet sometimes, but not over eating protein from food sources. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I do add it to my oats at times and I like to have, you know, a protein shake sometimes after I work out. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, yeah, I definitely wouldn't use it instead of having protein from foods, if okay. you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I usually have a protein shake after training with breakfast. So I'll have um, granola and yogurt and things like that and a protein shake. I think it's just become a habit now. but. I, don't, it, I think it definitely keeps me fuller longer mm. than not having it. So Yeah, definitely. That is one benefit of, you know, having that extra protein is that it does keep you fuller for longer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, I mean, it is a good addition if you're making sure that you're having food sources of protein throughout the day as well. Yeah. And there is only so much protein that our body can absorb in one go, okay. which is why, yeah, so that's why they recommend to have protein um, at, in all your main meals so that you are getting what you need every day, but your body can still absorb it. Yeah. Yeah, because you find with a lot of supplements, they're not as bioavailable as the nutrients you get from food. So basically your body doesn't absorb as much of it as it would if you were getting it from a food source. Right, okay, that makes sense. So basically you could probably redirect your supplement money to better food <laughs> and you'd be doing yourself a service. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, I think, you know, food is getting more and more expensive at the moment. So if you have extra cash to spend on food, then yeah. Yeah. How would you balance meals for your children that are nutritious, but also something that they will actually eat that are not just chicken nuggets and chips and, you know, <laughs> these go-to <laughs> kind of snack foods? Yeah, definitely. It It is harder with kids because a lot of them can be quite fussy eaters. Mm -hmm. I know definitely one of my children in particular is quite the fussy eater. And, you know, we do want to get as many nutrients and whole foods into them as possible. But, you know, they can be very picky <laughs> with what they eat sometimes and it can change from day to day. So, you know, yeah. if they're eating broccoli one day, they might not the next day, which can be quite hard to figure out what they're going to eat. Yeah. Um, so I just run by the rule is that, you know, I decide what to cook and when to serve it to them and they decide how much they eat of it. And 
you know, because then I'm providing them with the nutrients that they need and, you know, wholesome food, but also giving them food that they like as well. So, um, but then they're actually getting some autonomy in choosing what they want to eat and how much they want to eat. Because I know um, at one stage, you know, there was a rule that, you know, you couldn't leave the dinner table until you had finished your meal. Mm. But I mean, I can't, I don't know how hungry my children are. And I can't decide how much to put on their plate and, you know, know that that's going to fill them up. You know, I don't want to. Or force them to overeat either. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awful. You know, if you would sit there and forced to eat and you were full and, um, you know, so I kind of run by that rule and it, you know, it works out all right. And, Mm. uh, and, you know, I don't stop them from having treats as well. There are some things that I personally choose not to give my children, like, juice other than on special occasions but you know I do let them have you know treats and things like that as well because I mean I love chocolate and I wouldn't stop eating it so you know I figure why should I deprive my children of that as well and I think it can actually lead to long-term problems with their food relationship in the future if you try to restrict them too much Mm -hmm. you know and you identify foods as good or bad or healthy or not healthy you know, it's it's actually going to lead to them developing a really bad relationship with food. So it's just about, you know, kind of treating them with that respect to make their own decisions, but also um, providing them with food that's going to give them all their nutrition and, you know, also going to make them happy as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. Hopefully that can help some some parents out there who are struggling with that what advice do you have for someone who's struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating habits generally so my advice with that would be to reach out to someone that you feel comfortable with and to talk to them about it so whether it's you know family or friends um so that you can get someone on board and get some support with it and also to go and see your GP because there are some really wonderful services out there that support people with disordered eating. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard to take that first step. So just making sure that you talk to someone that you trust and even if you feel comfortable taking them with you to mm-hmm. see the GP um, so that there's someone there who's got your back that can be really helpful. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to note that eating disorders even just since doing this podcast and speaking with a lot of people are a lot more common than you would think. I think there are these, you know, documentaries and things about people who might have either anorexia at one extreme or um, overeating at the other extreme. And, but there's this whole. Like a spectrum. Yeah, like a spectrum in between that it's not super uncommon it's something that lots of people struggle with and especially like we spoke about with diet culture it's it's probably more common in most people than you think yeah it does and it's kind of become normalized hasn't it um that disordered eating and that diet Mm -hmm. culture because that kind of frame of mind is not a healthy relationship to food but because it's being normalized um it is quite common yeah Mm -hmm. which is is quite sad and quite surprising when you kind of realize what it is yeah yeah and realizing that I guess talking to someone about it or going to a doctor to talk about it like people won't kind of come and just take you away and put you in a place somewhere like there are many support systems out there that can help and when you're not berating yourself about um, having disordered eating then you can definitely make steps to enjoy your relationship with food yeah definitely so you like building on that relationship with Mm. food so that it becomes something that not only is a fuel for your body but it's something that you enjoy and that you kind of look forward to yeah I know myself like I really love cooking and so I love experience sorry experimenting with recipes and just seeing kind of you know, new things and new products that are coming out. So I think I would be quite lost without that, you know? Yeah. That's funny because I don't love cooking and I just try and get whatever I can done as quickly and easily as possible. Yeah. Like I would love nothing more than to have a week of meal prep done so I didn't have to cook all of the other days. <laughs> but I also it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I just can't manage to get the meal prep thing together yet, but it's on my 
on my list for the year. Yeah, we'll work on it. Yeah. 2023 <laughs> goals, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you discuss the potential link between gut health and mental health and how we can support a healthy gut microbiome? So uh, the gut-brain axis, that's the link that connects your central nervous system to your enteric nervous system, which is in your gut. And it's kind of a bi-directional pathway. So it goes both ways and messages from your brain are sent down to your gut and messages from your gut are sent up to your brain. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, you know, that sensation of butterflies in your tummy when you're feeling nervous or anxious. Um, So that's because your brain can influence what's happening in your digestive system. And like, yeah, likewise, what's happening in your digestive system can influence your mood and your cognitive function. So having, yeah, having a healthy gut microbiome is really important because the bacteria and your gut does so many wonderful things for us. So it like helps us with our digestion. It helps to keep the bad bacteria at bay. And it can also um, synthesize vitamins for us, like vitamin K and a lot of the B vitamins. Okay. So if everything is going smoothly in your intestinal activity, it kind of sends messages to the brain, like we're all good down here. Everything's all right. But if you're having some issues with your gut or you haven't been following a balanced diet or maybe you've had a lot of refined sugar, that affects the population of the good bacteria in your gut and that can negatively affect your mood. Hmm. And likewise, if you're experiencing a low mood, it can impact your gut microbiome. And so with depression and anxiety, people are more likely to not eat their regular diet and either overeat or undereat. So to support your gut, you can add probiotic foods into your diet each day. Mm-hmm. So probiotics are the healthy bacteria and they're found in a lot of fermented or cultured foods. So yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, those kind of things. Okay. Um, oh, and pickles are another good source. Oh, funny. I never thought yeah. of then you've got your prebiotics so prebiotics are what feeds the gut microbiome and promotes the growth of the good bacteria and those are foods like onions garlics oats um whole grain foods apples bananas cabbage broccoli yeah that kind of stuff i didn't know that so would you with the probiotics again we talked about supplements before but you would suggest that just those food sources are a lot better of a place to find those yeah definitely i mean if you are struggling or if you've you know had a round of antibiotics you know you can try the supplements but i think it's much more um bioavailable to get them through your food and it also helps you know if you've got a balanced diet you know um to incorporate them yeah with your food and Mm. i mean a lot of them are just regular normal things that you eat every day you know like apples and bananas um also yogurt as Mm -hmm. well yeah so they're quite easy to get in your diet yeah um something else that we touched on just before that you didn't let your children have juice and i would assume that fizzy drinks are probably in the category as well of like yeah often what would you suggest not just for children but you know obviously water is the main liquid we should all be having but aside from that what what is on your list of okay things to drink with fluids like it is um you know we do need between 1.5 and 2.5 liters a day mm-hmm. um and by fluids it is kind of everything that you drink so it's water it's your coffee and teas it's even things like yogurt and soup counts as a fluid as well so there's heaps of options that you can go for like you know you've got your herbal teas you've got um i I love coffee, <laughs> so I tend to have one or two of those every day. Yeah. Um, and also things, you know, if you do need something a little bit sweetened, you know, you can just look for like a lower sugar option. Okay. So, yeah. So the, the low sugar options of something like Sprite or all of the low sugar mm-hmm. options are more beneficial than the full sugar option. Yeah. Even yeah. So, you know, if you are a big fan of Coke or, you know, your Sprite and you don't want to exclude it from your diet, then yeah, by all means, you know, keep it in. Um, you can reduce it if you want, but going for like the diet options are a lot better. So can you share any personal experiences or challenges that you've faced in your own journey with nutrition and mental health and how you overcame them? 
Yeah. Um, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess recently, um, so I have been going through another journey with my mental health. Um, I am still on that journey now, but I am feeling more aware of myself and my needs, which has helped me to kind of touch base with myself and to use the tools in my toolbox and to feel a little bit more like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been my first journey through mental health challenges, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but after my third child was born at the end of 2021, um, I did develop postnatal depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think it didn't help as well that I was feeling quite stressed with the lockdowns happening in Tamaki Makoto. I was finishing my undergrad degree from home and working part time um, and also caring for and homeschooling my two sons during that time. Yeah. So it was really busy. And I think my self-care took a backseat to the needs of my kids and my responsibilities. And then with the hormone changes during pregnancy and childbirth, like, yeah, it just kind of started going downhill. But because I was so busy, I didn't kind of pick it up. And I didn't recognize it like I have at other times. So um, what it wasn't really till I hit a bit of a low and I realized, oh, I'm actually not in a good place and I'm not looking after myself and I'm not eating very well, um, especially because I was breastfeeding at the time as well, that mm-hmm. I, yeah, kind of realized what was happening and then had to kind of, you know, take some steps. And it was actually really hard. Yeah, you know, um, when you don't feel like eating, but to make sure you have to, um, you know, get some some good nutrition into you, especially when you're breastfeeding is quite hard. Um, And when you're so busy, it's easy to really grab for convenience foods, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It really is. So, you know, I totally understand that. So it's still a journey that I'm on now, but for me, it was just trying to really find that motivation which was hard and it took me a long time to kind of find that motivation to start actually trying to prepare some foods for myself and make sure that when I went grocery shopping that I had foods that I could easily put together that Mm. could give me some nutrients so even if it was you know like the pre-cooked rice packets and a bag of salad and then you know a block of tofu that I could quickly cook up um that would take me five minutes to put together you know at least I was kind of tried to set myself up yeah, yeah for success with that and yeah. also trying to get myself to move my body as well even just going for walks around the block in the neighborhood mm-hmm. um at first I really struggled with it and I didn't want to do it but it was like just really forcing myself and yeah slowly it's become a lot easier yeah so you've had a struggle with depression a lot of your adult life haven't you yeah yeah I have so kind of from my teenage years um to my early 20s and then I had another um another time was it (laughs) in my late 20s yeah so yeah and then I often talk about it as like this unwanted friend for me that kind of pops (laughs) up every now and again that you get a whack back down into place (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, someone who's come to stay that you kind of don't want there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So what are some ways that you've been able to manage that, I guess, over your life, your adult life? Um, For me, I think antidepressants have been great. Exercise has been great and definitely limiting alcohol and trying to manage my diet as well as I can. Are those similar things for you or have you found anything? So I've done all of the above. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm still on medication now, you know, that I started on uh, last year, actually. Yeah, with my postnatal depression. And so I'm going to continue with that until, I'm not sure how long for, but just until I feel feel ready to come off that. So Mm -hmm. definitely exercise. When I found running and found my passion for running, that was actually in my 20s and it was the best I've ever felt so it's just trying to find some kind of exercise that you you know that you really enjoy and getting into that and for me that was running Mm -hmm. um and also strangely enough dancing around my living room with my children (laughs) (laughs) which is (laughs) such a good boost for them especially before school it really sets them up for a good day so that's been for me and also yeah eating nutritiously has really made a difference so 
um, mm. once I got back into meal prepping and actually eating regular meals again, mm-hmm. um, I really noticed a big improvement. Okay. So with that. And another thing that I found has really helped me um, is medica- uh, sorry, meditation. Okay. Yeah, so I found that's been really good for just kind of being still and also kind of learning to sit with those really uncomfortable feelings mm-hmm. that I may have, you know, normally tried to push away through um, busying myself or drinking alcohol or, you know, eating food. Yeah. 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 So those... I've just kind of been sitting with it and just letting, just kind of feeling the emotions and just understanding that negative feelings or what we, you know, deem to be negative feelings are all a part of life. Like we can't be happy all of the time if mm. that makes sense so it's yeah. kind of learning to be okay with all of the feelings mm. yeah do you do um guided meditations or do you kind of just sit quietly or yeah so um i do guided meditations every day so i have an app yeah. um, on my phone and it's actually a bit of a course what i'm doing um for 365 days and it kind of leads you through um kind of like the basics right through to kind of asking yourself questions and seeing how you feel with the answers and I don't know it's like a really cool um thing on headspace actually and then um sometimes if I've got a few minutes I even if it's just in my car waiting to pick up the kids I might just sit there and close my eyes for a couple of minutes and just breathe on my own and I found that's really helped to kind of ease my anxiety and just you know, stop yeah. and take stock for a couple of minutes. Mm, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'll have to try that one sometime when I'm feeling overly anxious. I think I've actually found in the last few months since exercising really regularly is that my anxiety has reduced a lot. And I think that that has a direct correlation. I think the amount and the length of exercise I'm doing seems to be it's almost like burning off the extra energy that's usually there to keep my mind annoyingly ticking, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like it's burning off that adrenaline that yeah. kind of makes that alarm go off in your body when your anxiety comes. Yeah, that's weird. I hadn't thought of that until just now. That's a wrap on today's episode. Huge thank you to you, Chloe, for joining us and sharing your expertise on the link between diet and mental health. I hope that everyone's gained some valuable insights and tips for using food to support your mental well-being. Remember, taking care of our mental health is just as important as taking care of our physical health and what we eat can play a big role in how we feel. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more conversations like this one. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us, Chloe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpacking Mental Health. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do this by clicking the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes. And this is a $5 donation, which will keep the podcast ad-free and go towards covering the expenses. And I would love, love, love if you could give my Instagram and Facebook a follow and I will update you with the next podcast. So have a great day.